navigating the datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Hey, and welcome to episode two of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley, and today we're going to talk about Microsoft's recent move to port SQL Server from Windows Server over to Linux. Say what? That's right, SQL Server on Linux. It's not a joke this time. Since uh, it was SQL Server was created in partnership with Sybase back in the late 80s and early 90s, and it was uh, released in, a, in, in partnership, Microsoft taking the OS2 version and the Windows version, and for the subsequent versions, um, Microsoft only ever released it for uh, Windows. InfoWorld ranks SQL Server in the top three database systems, and depending where you look, uh, you will con consistently see SQL Server ranked in the top three for popularity. It, it kind of varies. Um, SQL Server comes with several extras, including an equal ETL platform called integration services, a reporting platform options like um, reporting services, as well as analytics options and uh, something called R. The current version uh, is called vNext and was recently released to public preview on both Windows and Linux. Back in April 2005, uh, an author named Steve Jones, who then hosted SQLServerCentral.com, wrote an April Fool's joke uh, stating just this very thing that Microsoft was releasing SQL Server on Linux, and it totally got me. Um, I was very excited until I got to the end of the article when it they stated that uh, this is an April Fool's joke. So back in about uh, 2015, March, sorry, March 2016, when I was reading it again, I had to check the date and make sure it wasn't quite April and he wasn't getting me again. But it turned out to be true. And shortly after that, I signed up for the, pub, the private uh, preview was accepted and I've been playing it with it since. It's now in a public preview version 1.2 at this moment and just about anybody can download and play it with it. Um, and taking a look at it, it really is SQL Server running on Linux. You can connect to it with the same tools. Um, there are some exceptions and we're going to talk about it. Now, obviously, Mr. Nadella's Microsoft is very different from Mr. Bomber's. Um, Satya is a software engineer by trade, and he understands the difference and the importance of openness and how developers work. And this is uh, we're seeing this difference um, quite a bit uh, in the Microsoft of today, where they talk about Linux. So to uh, help make sense of this decision, today I'm joined by my friends Richard Weiss and Warner Chavez. Rich, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for being here. And you may remember Warner from our first podcast. Warner, how are you? All good, Chris. Happy to be back. Good stuff and happy to have you. So since we did get to know Warner in our first podcast, I'm going to refer you to that podcast if you'd like to hear the overview of his career, as well as the lightning round at the end, uh, where we get to know his work style and his projects a little bit more. And we're going to pick on Rich. So Rich, help us get to know you. Can you give us the couple minute overview of your career and your experience? Sure. So I got started with databases because I originally entered the uh, IT industry as a mainframe programmer. And we had the need to access data uh, that was in a flat format uh, very quickly. And so I started writing B-tree structures uh, for mainframe-based data sets. Uh, and then I suddenly became kind of the database guy for the company. Uh, we moved to alternate platform, which kind of started with Sun... Uh, Solaris running Sybase, 
and then move to um, OS2 Warp uh, running uh, Sybase SQL Server version 4.2. Uh, and I've been working with SQL Server uh, since that point in time. I spent about 10 years as the director for global data operations with Western Union. And I've held some senior engineering roles with other organizations like First Data and AAA. Uh, I've been with Pythian uh, doing primarily uh, SQL Server consulting and solution architecture work for about two and a half years now. Well, okay, that sounds like quite a career, Rich. Uh, I, I just had to ask, what, what made you go from a senior management type position uh, in pivoting back into technology? Sure. So. Uh, you know, inside of management, particularly within a large organization, uh, it's very political and there is quite a bit of, um, of uh, internal overhead uh, that feels very unproductive at times uh, and is very unfulfilling, at least to myself. So when uh, I really looked at my career and, and, and what made me happy, uh, I think that implementing solutions and creating something, whether that's a program or an architecture or a process, it was really the creation of that, that process and that process providing value to the business and living on uh, even after I've left the organization that was driving me and, and that's what, what gives me some satisfaction. Great, great. Okay, good, good to know. Um, okay, so let's get started then. Um, <laughs> Warner, why why do you think Microsoft did this? Oh my God, isn't that a question? Okay, let's go start with that. Um, well, first of all, let's let's think about what the landscape has looked like for Microsoft in the last ten years, right? So we go from a company where people in 1995 lined up on the street. This is a true story, you know. People lined up when Windows 95 came out. Right? Exactly how they line up today to buy the latest iPhone. People used to, it's kind of mind-blowing nowadays when we think about it, that anybody would line up on the street to buy an operating system. Right? So this is like we're talking about the highest peak that Microsoft probably could have achieved in terms of uh, not only being seen as uh, a good product, but actually cool enough that I want to go and line up on the street to buy. Right? But I've after uh, some years, I mean, Microsoft had a very rough patch um, right before the you know previous two or three years before Satya came on board. Microsoft was having a rough patch. You can even go and search. It's very interesting to go on Quora and search uh, questions from 2010-ish or so, and, and they say, what should I do with my Microsoft stock? And there's tons of answers that say, you got to sell this now before it just disappears in the next five to 10 years, right? It's crazy. Um, so the, the Microsoft that existed back then and then the Microsoft that resisted for a very long time was very uh, heavily um, banking on their uh, complete, first of all, complete domination of the market and that they could push their customers around to um, their entire platform, right? So I would only release Office for Windows because that's going to be, you know, a good enough uh, motivation for you to like stick with Windows instead of going to other platforms. And now we know that that's no longer the case. It hasn't been the case for uh, a bunch of years now. And obviously, Office exists now for Mac, right? Right. Um, same thing. We look at Microsoft lost the mobile phone. Um, race or business, if you want to call it, right? The winners are clearly Apple and, and Google's Android operating system. So 
the Office apps now exist on other platforms, right? And and this same trend is moving now into their actual enterprise software with uh, something like SQL Server, right? So I'm sure somebody at Microsoft has done the numbers, has done the market research, went into a bunch of their clients that do really large deployments of Linux and said, what if one of our you know top enterprise products like SQL Server was released on Linux and they would probably say great we would deploy it and then the opposite was probably asked too people were migrating from Linux and then they probably said like wait don't you have SQL Server investments and then clients said yeah but I'd rather migrate to Linux and then I'll just look at an alternative um, database engine that runs on Linux right so there's probably the the two directions probably affected the decision people that were no longer thought of uh, the OS locking as being a, a big deal anymore and then people that thought they could replace SQL Server easily on Linux because they rather just move to Linux anyway right and um, and finally you have to think about you know Microsoft is a company that they fail with things all the time right but that's part of the, the success right so they did uh, for example and you guys probably remember the famous Zune uh, music players, they, they were a great product, but nobody one. bought them, right? As you know, quick to fail, no longer, as it's a, kind of like a joke nowadays, right? Um, but uh, they don't have uh, a lot of fear of, you know, investing a lot of money in things that they know that could very well fail. Uh, for example, they did that with the Microsoft Band, that exercise a band they just released literally like two or three years ago and it's no longer being produced right mm -hmm. quick to market quick to fail get it out of the way I think they're not afraid of uh, doing uh, taking the risk on SQL and Linux um, and they'll see how the market reacts and who knows in any case they can always fall back and say look there wasn't enough market adoption we're sticking with SQL Server uh, only on Windows it's a huge, a huge uh, money maker for Microsoft. Right? It's estimated that SQL makes about eight billion dollars a year from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So why not try to expand it and open to other platforms? Um, so there's, there's these reasons that I think, yeah, the new Microsoft is more open. Uh, the new Microsoft doesn't see the operating system lock-in as, as a good strategy. Um, Microsoft not afraid to invest and fail you know and see what happens kind of thing even though it's a lot of engineering effort but they've done it before they've put a lot of engineering effort in these other products we just discussed and they saw them fail and so what right life goes on some of them stick like the Xbox right the right. Xbox was a huge experiment going into hardware um, gaming hardware uh, manufacturing and it's still there and it still does pretty well against not the number one Sony's still number one but still does really well in the market all things considered Right. right. So uh, I think all these things and the final uh, reason why they're doing this is because they want to make it easier for just Linux developers to use SQL Server and being able to download it as a full stack uh, package. So let's say, you know, somebody down instead of being like LAMP, the LAMP stack, they, it'll be the LAMP stack where instead of MySQL, it'll be MSS SQL, right? Make it really easy for somebody to just download, set it up. Uh, if you guys have played with the preview right now, it's like a one-liner to install SQL Server on Linux right now. So very, very easy to try it. So last, last bit I think is that is to make it really easy for developers that are working more and more on Linux to deploy SQL Server. And obviously that translates into cloud 
moving more workloads to the cloud because then more people will be running it in the cloud and uh, producing more money at the end. Obviously, that's the goal for everything, to produce more money at the end. Right. Okay. Okay. So I think it's a good move. I think it's a it's a risk, not risky, but it's a gutsy move. Right. Okay. Rich, how about you? Is this something that you're going to be using soon? So uh, just to to address what Warner just said, uh, I can agree with a lot of the reasons uh, uh, that Warner just cited for Microsoft's interest in exploring a SQL Server variant on Linux operating systems. Uh, obviously, they want to increase their total addressable market share um, because, you know, if you only run on one OS, you're um, uh, limited to the market share of that OS for servers. Um, it's an alternative to the LAMP stack, obviously. Uh, they want to hedge their bets on, on the OS landscape in the cloud. Uh, it's kind of a shot at Oracle. It's generated some great publicity and some good marketing uh, opportunities for Microsoft. Uh, so I understand uh, philosophically why they wanted to create this product. Uh, I don't believe that this product personally uh, is ever going to see widespread adoption uh, or even any measurable adoption at all, quite frankly. Uh, and <laughs> uh, and I'm not, um, I'm not uh, disappointed or disheartened uh, being uh, somewhat of a Microsoft fanboy by their creation of, of this specific product set. Uh, but there are many, many areas of SQL Server uh, for um, Windows that I would like to see improved, uh, both on-premise and in their uh, platform-as-a-service offerings uh, uh, residing in Azure, uh, that I feel their resources could have been much better directed at, uh, rather than expending a lot of resources creating a product uh, that I think personally is another Zune or another fitness band or another you know, Microsoft Bob. Uh, and that is to say, not that those use cases are similar, uh, but that it's a product that will never reach uh, uh, critical mass and, and will never be widely adopted. So do you have, I know you're consulting in the field these days, are any of your customers talking to you about SQL on Linux? So I, I actually have had one or two people, uh, one or two organizations that um, we're mildly interested in discussing what it was and what some of the advantages of uh, SQL Server running on Linux might be. Uh, and at this time, it's very difficult to make a compelling use case in even edge scenarios uh, for the usage of SQL Server on Linux. So when I look at SQL Server on Linux, uh, obviously most people know it has um, a large number of limitations. Uh, it doesn't have any type of high availability disaster recovery or scale-out features. Uh, it uh, doesn't support basic SQL Server features such as Active Directory uh, integration. Uh, it doesn't support uh, many, many features of SQL Server, and it doesn't support any of the ancillary ecosystem products like um, integration services natively on, on Linux uh, or some of the other products uh, that, that core SQL Server uh, comes with it, it within the within the enterprise now on the Windows platform. It's not it's not a native Linux product to begin with. They created kind of an abstraction la layer. I think they call it SQL PAL. It's the uh, SQL platform abstraction layer. So right from the get-go, get -go, I think their goal was to achieve 75% of the performance 
that they get on Windows under Linux. Uh, I don't know whether that goal has been met or not. Uh, I haven't done extensive testing personally to verify that. But with the with the limitations in the current product, it's a very, very narrow use case, in my opinion. And I really don't understand uh, how they expect organizations to adopt this internally. Um, in speaking with some folks at Microsoft, uh, I was told that you know there is a hope or uh, a desire for Oracle's currently run uh, for customers currently running Oracle or other enterprise systems to, to evaluate SQL Server on Linux as a possible migration target. And in my opinion, migrating from one platform to another is a significant undertaking. And if you're migrating from one platform, whether it's Oracle or whatever your platform is, you have to have a, a significant reason to do so. There has to be a compelling driver. And if that driver is a feature set, uh, then you're looking at moving to NoSQL or you're looking at a platform as a service alternative, uh, but you're certainly not moving to a limited product um, for a feature set alternative. And if the reason is cost and you want to stay on Linux, well, then you're probably not looking at SQL Server on Linux either. You're probably looking at more mature and more advanced product sets um, like uh, MySQL or MariaDB or Postgres, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and you know, migrating to any between any two stateful data system platforms is a very, very extensive uh, and difficult process for any kind of mid or large size organization. Uh, you really have to have a very compelling reason to do so, uh, and I just don't think that Linux on SQL uh, gives you those reasons. I don't see the adoption drivers. So to me, I, I really don't understand what the the primary drivers in Microsoft's mind are that would push enterprises into this migration path. Uh, it really comes down to what is the business value for implementing SQL Server on Linux and what is the business value of migrating Oracle or MySQL to SQL Server on Linux? And, and I'm personally struggling with that question. Okay. What, and so I want to hit pause right there for a second because there was a you you talked about a whole pile of things that um, and a bunch of them could be another hour of podcast. Um, Warner, before we come back to those things, a couple of the things like migration and use cases. Warner, how about you? Are your customers talking to you about moving over? Uh, yeah, I actually did get uh, a couple of questions, and uh, one I actually think it's probably one of the scenarios that Microsoft is looking to enable, and it was uh, an ISV that they've built their application on Linux, and so far their application is offered in Oracle and in MySQL, and they're interested now in just opening up the space, just such as like how Microsoft is using now Linux to open up space for SQL Server, well, ISVs are going to be interested in opening up more markets by giving it yet another option of deploying SQL Server on Linux. And, I mean, I think going back to the stuff that Rich was saying, first, it's really early right now to, you know, uh, do comparisons of feature parity because we don't have an RTM version available, right? So it's kind of unfair to say right now it doesn't do X or Y or Z. 
because we don't know what it's going to be the feature set once it goes RTM later on this year at some point. Um, so I think that's kind of like, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure, it doesn't have a lot of stuff that it doesn't do right now, but obviously right now it's not meant to be used in production. It's in a public preview. It's meant to be used to kick the tires, right? Right. Um, so that's the number one thing that anybody should keep in mind. Um, and second, I there's a lot of companies that are using Oracle and they don't want to go necessarily open source because they do feel like they rather have another similar or larger corporation backing up the software that runs their mission critical revenue generating systems. Right. right? Accountability, like um, someone to sue basically when things somebody come that I, not only to sue but somebody that I can call <laughs> and you know they're going to find somebody that can step through the source code and debug it and this is something that we've done at Pythian, right? We've had cases where we've found we have found bugs in SQL Server, right? And you go in and you call and eventually you can get all the way up to the chain to somebody that actually understands the source code and can see what you're doing and go through it and debug and give you a hotfix for your issue, right? A lot of the times, A, even if you do pay for actual paid support for the open source tools, it might not be, it might be hard to get to that level of expertise because who knows who's the person that actually contributed to whatever issue that you have. It might be piece that nobody uh, understands as well. Um, and some other times they don't even offer that. Some other times it's just like, yeah, this is our forum and this is where we put all our bugs and you put the bug there and then you wait it out and hopefully it'll be fixed in a certain amount of time. Well, right? the, the, so there's no, there might forget, not be a tight SLA over that. Don't forget the, the, the sell of open sources. You can just do it yourself. You can yeah, but nobody's it. doing it themselves, right? <laughs> nobody's doing it themselves. So I think the question there is not so much as, um, yeah, but then somebody could say, well, then if I really was interested in that and having a corporation-backed uh, database engine and I'm tired of Oracle's uh, licensing and all, all the other things that I don't even have to repeat on this podcast, um, then why not just go in and deploy SQL on Windows then and right. just get it over with, right? right? But again, <laughs> there might be that's a shop that has been Linux only for a very long time and then they don't even want to open the Windows can. Right. And but, but in my opinion, that, that's a very, I, I didn't mean to cut you off on it, but that's a very narrow use case. Um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of Windows shops that have difficulty supporting Linux, but most organizations who are primarily Linux servers and even Mac workstations, they're still running things like Active Directory. They still have a Windows infrastructure. Uh, they've still got some kind of Microsoft or Microsoft-based product suites within the organization. And so, it, it, to me, it's not a compelling argument to say our company is Linux only, because that is a very, very small and narrow use case. You know, I, I always hear people talking about, um, particularly um, from some of my uh, technologist uh, uh, colleagues who are in the open source world, that, um, you know, Microsoft is, is losing, you know, such tremendous market share and, and Linux is the operating system of the internet. Uh, every other article you read has that quote in it. Uh, but really, when you look at um, the enterprise, Microsoft rules the enterprise. There is no Linux in the enterprise. Now, 
I don't mean there's no Linux in the enterprise, but when uh, companies like um, uh, Spiceworks, Spiceworks runs an annual report every year. So Spiceworks is a very large um, enterprise monitoring or, or um, inventory asset management control system that enterprises utilize. And Spiceworks runs a report every year, and they say, what do enterprises have in their organizations? And Microsoft had the biggest drop this year in 2016 that they've ever had. They dropped almost a full percent. So Mike, servers in the enterprise is now down to 87.7% Microsoft servers. So they're 80% of the on-premise server market, physical and virtualized, within the enterprise. And so when I look at at organizations who we say are Linux only or have you know a Linux only edict or Linux first policy, that is a very very small subset of organizations uh, and usually kind of cloud only, cloud first um, newer organizations. Right, right. So maybe is that the market they're going after? The cloud people that don't want to and, deploy new windows? And they've got a lot of money, Microsoft, right? So I don't blame them from going after, for going after any market they want to. L like you said, you, you, um, you made some excellent points where you said, uh, you know, they've got a lot of money and, uh, you know, they're allowed to play in, in some markets. And if something's a hit and it becomes a billion-dollar business, because that's all Microsoft cares about is billion-dollar businesses, um, <laughs> like the Xbox, for instance, is a great example. Uh, you know, a lot of people didn't think that would succeed. It took off. It was a huge hit. So, you know, great for Microsoft. Uh, but um, I don't, I don't like the fact that they're doing it at, at what is my opinion is the expense of a lot of features of SQL Server on premise and in the cloud that have languished. There have been features that have needed serious attention. Um, their replication features in Microsoft, um, the, the management and functional features for replication, uh, the ability to have multiple um, active clusters like an Oracle rack system, uh, transaction log management, um, operational visibility challenges. There have been so many uh, deficiencies in the SQL Server stack that have languished for, languished for years uh, that I do find it slightly frustrating. Which they're not that another sweet wrap on SQL. They're not investing a single line of code on doing that because nobody deploys one like shared like shared all multi like multi master read write uh, architectures anymore. Ask anybody how simple it is to manage and do anything in a rack cluster, and you'll get your answer. They're not gonna like invest a single dime on it. That I, I feel differently, but <laughs> I feel differently. But I will tell you this, and I will tell you with a hundred percent workload that actually needs multiple nodes, <laughs> and I'll show you unnecessary complexity that you can achieve on mm -hmm. any kind of other type of systems nowadays. Right. I will tell you with 100% certainty that if Microsoft had active-active technologies or some kind of multi-master or eventual consistency um, uh, feature set in the product that it would get 100 times the adoption of SQL Server on Linux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's already deployed. <laughs> I mean, we're going to take all the installations of SQL on Windows already. And, and anyway, that is maybe, my maybe core they'll, argument. Maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll, uh, they'll uh, listen to you. But I mean, if you want eventual consistency, there's already so many products that do it. Why deploy a relational SQL Server then? Right, right. You can go anyway, that's the, we're, we're going on a super tangent at this point. Yeah, I, I do want to Right, so I, I wasn't trying to go down the road of all the different features that I would like to see. 
Um, but when I see companies, uh, even for operational visibility like uh, a SQL Sentry, when I see some of the features that they are able to create in a matter of months, uh, they're always on availability architecture, diagram drawings, and, and the data movement um, animations that they're able to create. And then I look at what Microsoft gives you out of the box for operational visibility. Uh, it really makes me question why we are diverting resources from the core SQL Server engine and ancillary tools and operations into uh, a product set that I believe will have near zero adoption. Well, but you, you just kind of answered your own question. You said all these companies can do these amazing tools and visibility and whatever, and Microsoft, how come they don't do it? Well, well what happens it when those all these other companies are filling up the... Why would they go away if they're, but, they're but, filling up but, a void in the market? Well, that is true, and, and I like for you know partner companies to uh, uh, to be in the marketplace and to have alternatives for um, ancillary features. But you know there are companies who offered um, tools like uh, Lumigen, for example. There was this fantastic Log company Explorer. called Lumigen. They made Log Explorer. Yeah. Log Explorer was a, 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 an unbelievably valuable tool. Uh, they're, they went out of business. Why nobody's you know made an equivalent to this product is is beyond me. And why Microsoft can't include some kind of transaction log viewing and management tool uh, into the core suite is really beyond me. Well, there is. You can use an undocumented store procedure to do that. But I don't want to go. That's <laughs> that's beyond a little bit beyond the focus of this podcast. We can we can do uh, we can get into tech features. We can do a tools one. podcast another yeah. day. I I want to. I, I agree. Back, I agree. I want to bring it back a little bit now. One of the things that you guys talked about, what I heard for use cases is well, first I was at a customer earlier this week. They're a large MySQL customer and they have some SQL Server. And we I did bring this up with them just to see what they thought. And they turned to me and says, Well, Microsoft just doing it just to say they 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 do it we're, we're not taking that seriously we're running sql on windows and you know so you know they aren't taking it seriously and um we all know a bunch of windows shops out there from our own profession and um oracle runs on windows and if you talk to any serious oracle dba they say nobody who's serious about oracle runs oracle on windows so there, there definitely is the, are those biases, whether they're, they're relevant or not. But the use case that I also heard kind of skipped over and that I've seen in the field is containers. Now, when I heard, Warner, your use case of you, uh, an ISV who says we're going to release um, the database on these different platforms to make so for adoption, all of a sudden I heard, is that still relevant anymore? Like, why wouldn't you just give them a container? Who cares? Um, and that's one of the very few use cases for containers that I've ever seen. But what about SQL Server? And, and, and this is going to be a podcast, databases and containers. But what about databases and containers? Is that not a use case for uh, SQL on Linux? So the only use case for stateful systems and containers, in, in my opinion, quite frankly, I mean, there are maybe some other edge use cases, but it's really a, a development, uh, non-production environment scenario. Uh, and in that scenario, there is no advantage. Uh, in fact, there's probably disadvantages to using SQL Server on Linux rather than, say, using SQL Server Express, which is free, on uh, Microsoft uh, uh, Core, a nano server. Okay. So I, I, you know, they're all accessible via command line tools. Uh, the Docker containers for Windows, uh, you're going to be able to integrate SQL Server Express and, and Windows Nano Server into a CI CD pipeline uh, that's going to be able to, uh, you know, run through your various non-production environments. 
and, and meet your use cases there. Uh, and I don't understand what SQL Server on Linux really brings to that table, uh, primarily because if you're developing for SQL Server, you're probably developing for Windows anyway. Okay. But isn't that the whole point, that to open that, that scenario? Right and reduce the friction. I'm I'm sure they have numbers. I mean, they have what like 30 Azure regions all around the world right now. They have instrumentation that tells them how many VMs people are running and what exactly what operating systems are running inside those VMs. So they must have crunched the numbers and said there's a huge pie of Linux VMs running that are running uh, probably some sort of open source database engine. And they said, well, how can we uh, start trying to sway those people away. Well, with the friction that you just mentioned, oh yeah, you can do, you're a Linux developer, well, you want to containerize, well, that's really easy, you just have to learn Windows Nano, and then you have to put SQL Server Express on that, and I'm going to send you a container that has that, and then you can start learning about SQL Server, uh, Mr. Linux developer, right? It's a non-starter of a conversation. I'm like, sure that there is some guy... Some guy in Norway friction. who will do that one day. <laughs> <laughs> There's too much friction for anybody to take the product seriously to change minds, right? I think that's the key. We're, I, I'm pretty sure we can all agree they're not uh, really foolish to try to think that this is going to change people that have deployed SQL Server on Windows and that have a strong uh, Windows background. It's not going to change those minds to... Um, go to deploying SQL on Linux, unless we'll see. Eventually, maybe there'll be benchmarks and performance might even be better on Linux and people might start thinking that way. But let's assume it's, everything's the same. Then those are not the minds they're targeting with this, right? What they're right. trying to target is the people that are set on Linux and the experience right now to try to entice those people and to just like spark their curiosity is too high. The cost the cost of curiosity for those people is too high. They have to learn too many things and they have to like go way out of their comfort zone, right? They want to provide, I, I think, that in, in, in order to change those minds, the experience has to be frictionless to just satisfy my curiosity and try it out, right? right. If I have a workload and I'm thinking, oh, man, I wonder all this marketing from Microsoft about their SQL and Linux, maybe I'll just, I'm curious enough, uh, I'll try it out, whatever. It has to be a frictionless experience. So if they read about, oh, SQL Server has this in-memory engine, I wonder what that's all about. Would that be faster than what we're doing on X other database engine? If they have to go out and find uh, funding for Windows licenses and then find a Windows essay somewhere and then find somebody to do the other piece of like the setup of SQL on Windows, which nowadays actually is looking more complex than the install of SQL on Linux, um, they're not even going to try, right? Like, I they're have to those people try. are not even going to try at all. <laughs> they're not going to try at all anyway because they're going to use one of their open source databases. But they're going to use MySQL. That there's they're going to use Korea. There's they're no feature parity yet. There's no feature parity between what my SQL Server can do and what MySQL can do. That's true, but I mean, right? the one one thing that you touched on there, Warner, that I just love about the SQL on Linux is apt-get install. I hate running the Windows install for SQL Server, and it takes you know click 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 as you wait for each box to populate. Uh, there is a yeah. lesson. Well, you can run there. it with a config file, but a lot of people don't because everybody's used to Windows just being like, oh, why would I run with a and config file? And, and the I same reason. The, GUI, right? the same reason that most enterprise admins 
don't run command line and don't run PowerShell installs is the same reason that none of these enterprise admins who are currently in Windows are going to find this product attractive at all. Why? Why is, why is it because, that the same reason? Because Windows administrators are disposed to being, uh, I, I'm trying to use the, um, a, a polite term, they are, um, they are in general, and this doesn't count for everyone, but Windows administrators are used to using and interacting with GUIs or tools that create command lines from GUIs. Uh, they are not somebody who spends a great deal of time uh, in, 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 the most, in most cases, uh, using command lines all day like a Linux system administrator would. And so they are vehemently opposed to the operating system to begin with, uh, more so than a Linux administrator as opposed to Windows. Uh, because obviously if you've mastered Linux, uh, Windows is uh, rather easy in comparison uh, as far okay. as administration. Well, what does this have to do with adopting SQL on Linux? Like, uh, like the minds because that you're are going to, anyone who wants to adopt SQL on Linux has to involve their technical staff. And if your technical staff is more comfortable with Windows, uh, that is a complete no-go within that situation. We, I agree, we, which is why I see no use case. Right, I, I want no, to hit pause on, I want to hit uh, pause. We've, we've definitely talked the, uh, you know, the ins and outs of adoption. Uh, we, I think we've covered that really well. I want to switch gears a little bit uh, to talk about something else that you mentioned, which was migration. So Rich, in, in one of your first uh, parts, you mentioned that it was very difficult to move to, to do a platform migration. But since it's SQL Server on Linux and SQL Server on Windows, can't I just take a backup from one, copy it over, and then restore it on the other? So I was really talking about a migration from a from an Oracle or MySQL okay. or, or Postgres to a SQL Server. Um, there is no use case for migrating to SQL Server on Windows to SQL Linux on Windows. <laughs> okay. Zero. What, what about you, Warner? Would you, is there any use case that you can think of? I don't think people are going to, if they already deployed SQL on Windows, I don't see anybody jumping on SQL on Linux. Okay. I don't think that's what Microsoft intended anyway. I don't think um, shops that have done large investments that are not ISVs are going to be doing a lot of investment to migrate from, let's say, MySQL to SQL. If you're an ISV, you might because you know just want to open up the market share and if the investment is not too large, why not, right? Give it a shot. Maybe you'll fail, maybe not, but as long as it's not a, a huge investment, it could be a good idea for an ISV. I do see that could be that Oracle Linux shops will find more and more the you know difficulties of keeping up to date with Oracle licensing to think, you know, why not? We're used to running, you know, Linux. We can run SQL now on uh, Red Hat or CentOS and, you know, stay with something that we know and still deploy a corporation high SLA support backed database engine. And finally, the other crowd is the one that is, I think, the biggest unknown and probably Rich is betting that no Linux uh, stack developer is going to want to touch this thing. But clearly, Microsoft is betting in the other direction, that there is a market for it and is the crowd that still hasn't developed anything. 
right? Well, obviously the biggest, the biggest pie is probably the one that just doesn't exist yet, right? And those people are not even going to consider SQL Server as a key piece of their application if it's running on Windows and they just don't even want to install a Windows Server. Okay. Right. Okay, so so what I'm hearing here is that there's no real reason to migrate from one platform to another. It's really about um, create your own use case and fill it in, which may or may not exist. Thinking about the um, DBAs now, whose company may say, you know, I'd like us to try this, and thinking about the DBAs who want to remain current and at least be able to speak to it in case their employer creates a Linux-first policy or something, um, do you think that SQL Server DBAs of today are going to be um, have a challenging time adopting, supporting this platform? So, I mean, it obviously depends on the individual technologist. Um, I think that you'll find that most SQL Server DBAs, uh, and, you know, as you... Um, you had a podcast uh, last week with Warner uh, where you spoke about the future of DBAs and how the traditional DBA role was changing. Uh, and I agree with everything that was said uh, within that podcast. It was fantastic. I think anyone who hasn't listened to it should go back and listen to episode one. Uh, but I'm sending you five bucks in the mail right now. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but um, but right now the the. DBAs that you have in the uh, enterprise, you, most of them are siloed to Microsoft Windows platform. Uh, the rest of their support is on Windows platform, their products run on Windows platform. Uh, so it is a, a big difference for them to, uh, to suddenly switch over to uh, a Linux operating system where everything is very different, where the you know the operating system or tools built into the operating system are actually going to be controlling your job schedules now instead of a SQL agent, where everything is controlled through a command line, uh, where all your uh, availability options are completely different. I think that it would be a a challenge, uh, although. It would be an excellent learning opportunity, but it would be a challenge for for majority, I would say, of the uh, basic DBA sys admins uh, that you find within an enterprise right now. Okay. Uh, how about you, Warner? What, what do you think of what Rich just said? I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100%. It is going to be a challenge. I uh, I don't think that the actual SQL management itself is going to be that different because we can always install the same tools and um, the actual T-SQL is going to be the same obviously so whatever I do in management studio it'll, that'll be the same in, in terms of that but in terms of you know the a typical DBA that has to wear many hats and kind of like it's kind of like a partial system administrator too right they have to understand uh, Windows somewhat you know, to a decent percentage to be able to really be a good DBA, right? We're, let's let's right. ignore all the mediocre DBAs that exist out there in the world, and let's just focus on the people that are actually, you know, decent at their job. Um, those people probably don't have right now the level of skills on Linux that they have on Windows. These are the folks that are very comfortable going into Perfmon and throwing in 20 counters on the screen and can read them correctly and tell you what's going on with the server right now. Right? That's going to be a big learning curve for all those folks. I think, again, this is where I don't think that 
SQL from Windows migrating to SQL and Linux is going to be a path that we're going to see out there. So I agree with Rich on that um, because you're going to have to take your staff and like why would I retrain my SQL on Windows DBA and make him relearn how to do all these things for let's say you know just the sake of moving to a different operating system or at best maybe somebody comes out with a blog post and says oh my workload runs 10% faster on uh, Linux than on Windows and I would just say like well then just go buy some more RAM for your Windows machine instead of uh, forcing your uh, DVA to learn a completely new operating system so I don't think that scenario is gonna go as strong but I do think that for uh, DBAs with ambition that are entering the field, it will look awesome in their resume if they start preparing for that. And I do think for consultants such as uh, Rich or myself, it's just going to be a matter of we don't have a choice. And the market, right. even adoption, as small as it might be for a large corporation like Microsoft, will probably still mean that some of that business will end up coming in our direction. So consultants uh, will very likely will have to start learning it. We won't have a choice simply. Right, right. That's that's a good observation. Good. Um, I think we've we've done a good job of covering use cases, migrations, and rationale behind it. Um, so I think we're going to wrap up the podcast uh, there. Uh, and there definitely are a few hints for some great future topics. Um, Warner was on our first podcast and we did a lightning round with him. So we're not going to repeat that same thing. I, I suggest you check it out. Um, it was a, it was a great discussion just as this was. Um, so we're going to get to know, pick on Rich and get to know him a little bit better. Um, so Rich, still, we're entering the lightning round. This is where I ask a series of questions. I ask you to try and, um, answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Um, so let's start with what project in your career are you most proud of? Uh, I am probably uh, most proud of um, inventing social networking. So. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so I worked, uh, I was uh, one of the original employees for a company called Bolt.com, uh, and Bolt.com was uh, MySpace before MySpace existed and, and uh, uh, Facebook before Facebook existed. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a fantastic place to work. Uh, we were extremely creative and we're doing a lot of groundbreaking uh, technology work, uh, something that really hadn't been done before. Um, unfortunately, we were a little too early and wound up in the dot-com bust. As a matter of fact, we're listed on Forbes' top 20 venture flame out, venture capital flameouts of all time. So uh, I'm very proud of the work I did there, uh, even though it went for not. Oh, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. That sounds like really interesting. Um, so what about, uh, what is the book that you've read that's had the most impact on your career? Oh, so um, I, I wouldn't say that there's one book, but um, all the Malcolm uh, Gladwell books, uh, Blink, uh, Outliers, Tipping Point, uh, I really enjoy reading those books. They make me look at things differently and think about things in a different way. Uh, and so uh, I appreciate approaching problems from a different or a creative point of view. Uh, and I think that those books have given me a lot of insight into how to accomplish that. Okay, that sounds like some interesting reading. Um, standing desk or sitting desk? Uh, sitting desk. I am not in shape okay. to stand. 
<laughs> um, laptop or desktop? You know, it's funny. I'm probably one of the last few dinosaurs, but I prefer my desktop. I do all my work from a desktop, uh, and then I have the unenviable task of making sure I've transferred all my necessary files or programs every time I, I go on site to a client, uh, because obviously I'm just bringing my laptop with me. But, but when I'm at home, uh, I use the desktop, and thankfully there's a lot of uh, file share services such as Dropbox and Google Drive that allow me to kind of, uh, you know, sync my data between my, my various platforms. No, fair enough. You know, uh, you call yourself a dinosaur and I, I don't use a desktop anymore, but um, I was pretty happy the first day I got rid of my desktop and went 100% to laptop. But as I run some fairly power hungry um, apps these days or programs, I find myself really thinking hard about going back to the desktop and having the convenience of my VMs right there. Um, so, you know, I, I wonder if I'm, maybe I'm the only one who's thinking about going back. I know Warner just plays games on his. Um, <laughs> Mac or, so is that desktop uh, a, you know, a Mac or a PC? It's a Windows PC. I, I do have a Mac uh, book uh, as well. Uh, but to be honest with you, um, uh, virtually all of my work is within the Microsoft stack. Um, you know, when I'm at Microsoft events, it kind of feels a little odd to be bringing my MacBook with me, uh, even though you will find some actual Microsoft employees with, you know, using Macs. Uh, but I have, I have pretty much switched exclusively to using Windows. Uh, and now, of course, also running a, uh, a Red Hat Linux uh, VM simply to... Uh, uh, run this SQL Server product that no one's ever going to adopt. <laughs> Cheap shot. Um, iPhone or Android? Uh, iPhone. All right. Uh, so what is the best app that you use um, on a daily basis or the most? Oh, the best app. Um, yeah. yeah, what could you not live without? They, what, and it's got to be an app on your phone. Oh, it's got to be an app on my phone. Uh, I guess at this point I can't live without, well, obviously I can't live without email on my phone, but I guess the communication applications, uh, Slack, uh, Hangouts, uh, uh, Google Drive, uh, things of that nature, things that keep me in touch uh, with my peers and my colleagues, uh, I can't live without that. I was sure you were going to say Candy Crush, but uh, all right. No, I'm not um, a gamer. <laughs> doesn't want to say it. <laughs> no. All right, Rich, uh, it, it's been really great to get to know you on the podcast today and a pleasure, Warner, always as usual. Uh, Rich, where, if anybody's interested in knowing more about you or reading more about what you have to say, where can people find you? Uh, sure, you can find me on Twitter at, at Richard A. Weiss. Uh, so that's Richard, the letter A, and then Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. Uh, and I also uh, blog occasionally at pythian.com. Okay, good stuff. And Warner, where can we find you? So uh, reach out to me on Twitter at Warchav, that's W-A-R-C-H-A-V. And you can check out my personal blog at sequelturbo.com and my technical blog at pythian.com as well. Excellent. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us is by writing a review on iTunes or telling a friend where to find us. Um, and let me also ask, what would you like to hear more of? You can send us an email at datascapepodcast at gmail.com to get in touch. Navigating the Datascape.